Yeah, hi, hi everyone. My name is Pankaj. Hi, I'm Neha, and we are founders of Clovia. Let's talk about bras. Yes, you heard that right. This is an episode about innerwear. And for the modern Indian woman who goes out and works and is equal to men in every way, innerwear is no longer under the bar. It's an integral part of making her feel comfortable in her skin and compete with the best. Pankaj and Neha started Clovia more than a decade back in an era where none of the enabling ecosystem around startups existed. They did not have that level of access to capital plug-and-play logistics solutions, or so many other things that founders today take for granted. And this episode is really a masterclass on how to build a business using first principles. Pankaj and Neha built an amazingly successful business in a very, very capital-efficient manner, and the reward was massive. Reliance Retail recently acquired Clovia for about 1,000 crore rupees. And this episode really is a masterclass on how to build a brand and build a business in an area which might be considered taboo. You're listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast and I'm your host, Akshay Dutt. So my father used to be a lingerie seller. You know, my dad would ensure that at least for two hours every day, I, I have to be at the store just to get a feel. But I think those are the fundamental values that he built very strongly. I think all the way from managing cash flows to managing customers, to servicing, to how to make the sale. I mean, I think those fundamentals continue to help. Then I used to be fairly okay in studies and my, my teachers pushed him. And, you know, the smaller towns, everybody knew each other. So just pushed him that why don't you let him study a little more went to IIT Delhi did a very small stint in our software services industry a couple of years of job then after the first year and a half we were very certain that and who is we here so there were three other friends two from IIT Delhi and one from IIT Bombay and so and the three of us used to work together and the fourth guy basically was related to one of the other guys so the idea spawned from one person and then we said okay let's start thinking around it so we made a travel search comparison engine, which was a peer-to-peer platform, very hardcore techie tool. Like a, like an Exigo travel search? Or? So if you remember that time, Kaza was there, Napster was there. So there was a lot of those peer-to-peer sharing that was happening and bandwidth was at a premium. So our thesis was that if somebody is searching from, let's say, SFO to LAX, then the search result will be valid for the next five seconds or four seconds. So if person A has searched, then can person B and C also use the same search? That was the thesis of, and we wanted to build a peer-to-peer network where you could do the same for books, you could do the same for multiple things. Kayak was doing very well, Sidestep was doing very well in the US, and we said that can a similar thing happen here, but with the much faster and much more efficient, where instead of using bots, humans literally contribute to each other's searches. So we're pretty, pretty cool thought process, very cool thesis. While we were looking out for funding for the business, we met with this company, which is the fourth largest ad network in the world, and we were trying to pitch. Did you know funding? So we were basically trying to figure out a way to monetize the tool. So, so we reached out to these guys and we said that our pitch was very simple. You said that Google has gone from search to advertisements. You guys are doing advertisements. Why don't you kind of see if you can monetize search? And that's what we were trying to pitch them. And, and I think they... And who is them here? Whom did you pitch to? This is a company called Exponential. And they were the fourth largest ad network in the world at that point of time. And that time they were called Tribal Fusion. And so while we were trying to figure out a way to bring them on board to kind of give us a way to monetize our tool, 
they made us an offer we could not refuse so they acquired us we set up their india office then acqui hire basically like acqui hired yes and we thought they were acquiring the product we were pretty excited about it but it was acqui hiring in its true essence and so we set up the india office so it was a pretty phenomenal time i think some of the smartest folks in the industry all technology we were to bring under one roof but there also 2004 5 time frame was india was still all about services so 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 everybody wanted us to be the r&d center the back end and we still wanted to be the product people who would make a great product out of india for india what was fascinating us was content we we thought that there were small destinations which were doing phenomenally well in the us and we thought that a lot of content consumption will happen in india also so that's what drive was was driving us but starting point was travel we thought that travel could be something there would be a lot of consumption in the future which eventually happened So we did that for two years. Uh, then once the gold handcuffs were over, we moved out, and the same group of people we started a company. We started an edtech company way back in two thousand six. Way way ahead of its time, and our whole and our whole thesis was very simple. We thought that every educational institution will eventually want to go online. So, for example, for Akash, we were the first guys who brought them online. So we were the first online partners. Brilliant tutorials. We used to run fourteen percent of the national sales in the correspondence course business. So JE and prep courses is what we took up, and we started doing two things. One is that let's build a destination where a lot of people will come to consume content, which was our first thesis. And then to monetize it, we said that can we start providing services to the institutions which these students would eventually want to work with, so that we could provide some sort of an online testing assessment platforms, and uh, which could be a plug-and-play kind of model. So by the time it was 2011, like what say a TripAdvisor would be doing, where people come to TripAdvisor for content. So yeah, so so TripAdvisor blended with the Booking.com effectively, right? So if you are coming to a TripAdvisor, then what else can you do to kind of provide that service? And this bringing online was it like a SaaS? You were charging a subscription from Akash? Yes, it was an absolute. It was an absolute SaaS model where uh, where you would charge a dollar per month for every kid that was coming online. Uh, and how much revenue was it making, like as a business? It was. I think we were at a run rate of like two million was what we were like kind of going at, and which was again this is two thousand ten, which is like about fourteen fifteen CR. Twelve watt crores tak pochada. And Briti still continues on a standalone like. No, we sold it off. We sold it off to to a tablet maker who was doing a brilliant business in in overseas, and so so this became like a solution that they were able to embed into their uh, third party products. So at least the product journey was pretty cool. It continued, and uh, then I ran an incubator for a Swiss fund for a couple of years, and by that time they had already decided that you know Clovia is the is the next thing that she has to do. And uh, when you started discussing this together, of course, of course, she'll tell that story better because it's her idea. <laughs> okay, okay. So Neha, what was that kida that you wanted to execute and see what it'll become? So, see, I like I said, I grew up in a very small town, so we had very limited retail counters there. So I, it's very weird, but up till the time, almost to the time that I got married, I never bought my own underwear. My mother did my entire shopping, so I never went to the store. The storekeeper never saw me. My mother and he figured out. some size for me and that's how i grew up so i grew up a bit being a bit uncomfortable like i always thought that maybe i'm just too tall or too broad and something is not right i was never comfortable and as a person who also played sports quite actively at school the problem was sort of compounded for me in fact that's why i feel a lot of my classmates girls drop out of active sports so it's a genuine concern for for growing girls so i always knew that something is not right and then then delhi and went to corporate and so by the time 2010 came i was making good money i could spend i could shop from malls and i was living in delhi so high streets of delhi but 
the situation had not really changed too much when i would walk into a store one there would be no information about the product and second there would be no product at all so there would be very basic sizes and fits being stored there even in malls yeah malls also one uh, i think there were a couple of stores yeah. and then even at my i was earning i think fairly i was ahead of the curve age and salary wise but despite that the prices were maybe my middle class upbringing the prices were a bit prohibitive for me so what i could afford i felt that it just is not keeping pace with how my outerwear has evolved because now i'm not wearing stiff cotton kurtas taking dupattas to work i'm wearing a lot of indo western and a lot of finer fabrics etc so i need to be better but you know that level of comprehension had not hit me i just felt that there was a problem with underwear and i'm not getting the right underwear but i that that lack of confidence and being able to carry myself better had not yet hit me that what is the problem in 2010 i traveled to germany for some work and there i just walked into a very average looking lingerie store and got fitted like the sales person approached me and said let me fit you first and then she gave me a bra which fit me like a which was perfect and it just changed and that's when that is when you know it hit me that this is what i had been missing and what is the problem i back home if an average store here in europe can offer me this then why can't we make and not a very uh, expensive product and why can't we make similar stuff back at home and so we came back and i started to discuss this with pankaj in 2007 11 went by like that again a middle class it's a bit pankaj was already involved with riti so one person had to keep working so i think pankaj's exit from riti was was well timed that this idea had struck at the same time so did you make some money in that exit pankaj like some something which could serve as seed capital yeah so so overall life has been kind so it's that was all okay <laughs> yeah but we blew a <laughs> big chunk of our seed capital in one accident that we had <laughs> <laughs> so actually that's what i think maybe possibly happened that both of us got into an accident we were bedridden for a month So while staring at the at the ceiling, both of us in the same room, we gave shape to this idea and finally <laughs> went ahead. So it's it's okay. I mean, you can always imagine engineer just thinking about lingerie for one month, right? So <laughs> very acceptable. Uh... <laughs> so yeah, while we had been, we knew that we had to do this, but I think it gave us a lot of time to do nothing. Was just keep creating excels in our head. What what did you start doing then? I mean, that ecosystem was not there where you have a playbook of how to build a business. So you had an idea. Okay, buying an underwear for a woman in India is a very poor customer experience, and it can be made a lot better based on what you saw in Europe. And so then, how did you actually go about? So first, I think there were two problems that we zeroed on. Uh, that I felt was one was of course the lack of experience or lack of advice on the counter. but the second big problem that i felt was the lack of product itself in any decent store also like a high street store there will be one there are not many brands even today in india the but let's say there were a few brands and that store few brand or semi brand so to speak and some chinese imports but they would have very limited range and very limited like couple of sizes even cup size at that time in 2010 was still not something which all brands did it was still sold by the band size so what just for my clarification as someone who's never bought lingerie band size is what is like 28 29 30 those numbers are so there's a yeah yeah and then there is a cup size which is abcd so that's how and the girl didn't understand and the shopkeeper didn't offer and many brands also didn't offer they just went by 
a standard size fit all kind of an approach and then very then the second part of the fit is that every bust shape needs a different fit and there are at least five or six uh, bust shapes and we've been able to arrive at about 18 body shapes but those bust shapes or body shapes need to be addressed so that that wasn't there at least on the top three that would cover about 60-65% even they were not being covered so this is now I'm saying with some perspective but at that time I felt that there's a severe lack of product and as a, and also as a person in 20s I felt that what's wrong with I'm in my 20s why should I wear this like this is what my mother wears and I wear very different clothing and she wears very different uh, clothing this is not a salwar or uh, like that suit and sari kind of a thing and also like a bit of color some bit of excitement some something good to look at so that's that's what I felt that why people are not making the right products or at least something else in India and so we started the first thing we did was to dive into this more and to why people are not doing it we went into we did a lot of research ourselves plus we also engaged on some friends from advertising to do it more to put some structure to that research then we went to Meerut, Haridwar, our hometowns as well as some other cities like I think that time Saranpur, Muradabad, but not like you went to retail outlets uh, to ask them, why don't you keep more varieties? Retail outlets to girls living in those cities and asking them, so walking through their entire experience. And what we understood that now, by now, there is a bit of awareness. There's a lot of aspiration also. There is understanding that, okay, there is a Victoria's Secret, there's Marks and Spencer as well. But, but when you walk into the store, same experience as me. There should be something. But it's not there. So I'm picking up whatever best I can make out of. And that was still the evolved set of living in here. But there was still a larger set of being unaware. And also being unaware of the fact that because they don't wear the right bra, that's why they don't feel that confident. And there's a problem. And uh, then the next step was to figure out that why. But... Oh, what, one quick question before next step. What is the connection between bra and confidence? You said that women don't feel confident because they don't get the right bra. And I'm just, as an outsider, I'm asking. Yeah. I was just thinking of an analogy to give. So let me, yeah. So, so, so think of it. And I think this is literally toning down the problem hundredfold. But you're a guy, you shave and you get this one thing left here through the day and you'll keep. So imagine this hundred times more complex. So it's something as simple as that your, your strap shows. Your strap keeps kind of going down all the time while you're walking. So I think even the posture by the end of the day, you start feeling a little bit of discomfort. Largely, yeah. it's a body part or organs that need to be one handled well. So if you are not say, well fitted, then you will, for example, girls will not run behind a bus to catch a bus. Yeah. If they're missing the bus, they would rather say bye-bye than to run after it. So one, yeah. your activity level through and that will also impact like through the day you will feel uncomfortable. Secondly, your clothes will not fit you well you will make different choices of clothes. Something that would fit you well or different shirt. Sure, sure, entire will change. Like you'll choose loser clothes. Loser clothes, or not necessarily, but your clothing will not fit you well. And that became the thesis of Clovia also eventually. So and it was, secondly, yeah. largely and most importantly, it is in our subconscious. It makes us conscious. Women, by and large, get conscious. It's a little different from West. But you get conscious of the fact that you would rather have it well-placed, 
well covered nothing to indicate that there are <laughs> breasts there okay <laughs> nothing to indicate you would rather uh, on a, on any given uh, work day you would rather walk in thinking like you are any other person in that room so that's how you should be you should at a point become unaware of the fact that you're built differently so uh, yeah so you were talking about the next step so you decided you don't want to be a retail business you want to be a product business like like you want to actually build or manufacture undergarments so the problem basically what we're saying is problem was not discovery problem was not privacy the problem was the product itself effectively so again so when we started to speak to retail counters we realized that you know they were stocking they were working in a 4 by 4 or a very small usually these are all over the counter experiences there's no trial room they can only stock as much so therefore they go by you know with two fits two sizes and that's what they push and when they push that's the feedback that goes back to the distributor to the carrying and forwarding agent to the final manufacturer or the brand most brands in india were also yahi bikta hai basically that's what the brand hears huh. yeah most brands in india at that time also ran their own manufacturing uh, who were the brands in india at that time uh, brands in india typically are you know them jockey lovable enamel these were the two three top national brands but then there were a lot of these semi uh, i call them regional brands or 100 km brands which operated in their own region so what happens really for a brand perspective if you see india is not one market it's like multiple markets put together and there are different sizes so there are so many factors that go into deciding how much to make of what so one is the sizing ratios and there are for any typical bra we do a minimum of 9 to going up to 28 sizes so one is size then when you go to customer side then the geography where she lives in which defines her preferences uh, different geographies will mean different size ratios will also mean different fabric like hot weather cold weather size ratios also body structures then hot weather cold weather then also between metro non metro slight difference of the kind of you know ac environment non ac environment clothing that you wear then the life stages which is true for all uh, of india but different life stages you are a teenager you are a young girl maternity post maternity so on so so many factors so therefore as a brand you can only do as much and you decide okay 2 by 2 this is what i'm going to do because i am also managing a factory whose output and efficiency is also my concern yeah you don't want to produce something which will not sell yeah because in, in a business like ours inventory and marketing are the two big levers and inventory unsold inventory can one season can really you know throw you out of the gear so i think more important to understand that this is not specific to lingerie if typical apparel business also has the same problem and we have seen mm-hmm. global brands kind of go out of business just because two seasons were failures and those are sml excel kind of businesses here you magnify the problem multifold because of 40 sizes right so it's 28 32 and then there is abcdf so you multiply minimum sizes of 40 So, so that also increases the complexity of the inventory that you hold. So, so that's predominantly the reason why you would want to ensure that if a manufacturer is making that, we will end up saying, "Boss, let's just because I am giving to distributor, he's going to retailer. Retailer is punting his money. So, retailer will say, 'Boss, I can't take forty sizes. Give me like these four sizes, these two styles. Give me these eight SKUs. I'll push whatever.' So, a majority of places where girls w- would walk into a store and say, even if she knows that my size is thirty-two B, she'll end up being convinced by the retailer saying, 'No, no, thirty-two C will fit you.'" why because not because that was a size but because that's what he had available so 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 people end up wearing the wrong size so you can't how do you fight the guy on the other side saying boss you are saying is wrong so you end up just accepting and coming back so that was i think that was one of the key reasons that we felt that we should solve this problem and there's this little funny thing that we have in our office that one thing britishers taught us was was divide and conquer we don't use it very well everywhere why don't we break down the problem into smaller problems and all of us problem can disappear of course 
it's a different rendition of the, of the statement but so, so that was the whole thesis and, uh, and yeah i think we realized that internet probably could be that beautiful medium where this distribution could be disrupted because the whole distributor retailer model would always keep you constrained in terms of the variety that you wanted to offer to the end consumer so internet was developing as the biggest democracy in the world and the one key fundamental of democracy is equal opportunity to all right but like before we we come to distribution like so you did step 1 was market research then step 2 you figured out why more inventory is not available then what was step 3 like maybe neha you could finish that thread which you were talking about then we worked for 3 weeks absolutely you know morning noon night to create to write down the blueprint of our business and we took care of the minus detail that at that time was smallest of the detail that we could think of but we created a very descriptive blueprint of how many products that we must do researched extensive secondary research but did a lot of research how many body types will be feature Uh, then you know marketing, the entire PNL cash flow, and then the whole timeline, can chart on you know, when we launch what. I think it also helped us as entrepreneurs. I think one must also remember what can we do, what do we know. So far, we had worked. I had worked for ten years, Pankaj, for almost twelve, thirteen years by that time. What is it that we know? And uh, so I knew digital marketing very well. I knew sales very well. I understood customers. I knew how to engage with. my direct selling experience uh, engage with customers very well therefore combined with that and with pankaj's uh, experience in technology and as one of many things that he knew at that time we felt that internet is the way to go for us to launch our product first you know d2c today is a very common <laughs> term but at that time there was no uh, nobody said the d2c there was nothing this concept didn't exist that you could you will have a brand that you can take online there were mostly marketplaces like amazon kind of learnings people had even internationally people would ask kahin aur aisa hua hai it's a very common question in when you start go and pitch your business so we couldn't find many like one or one odd thing in china but something just coming up in us but it wasn't really hadn't taken off but like how did you figure out building a product like like you decided you want to build a product na then how did that happen yeah so one so one that once it happened so again so between our capabilities one big factor was missing which was how to build the product so we started to speak to our friends and then we were very fortunate we were already there's a third co-founder with us so one who who we were connected from before we, through common friends so we reached out to him and he's a he's a designer trained educate by education and by profession and he had been working in lingerie brands for by at that time it had happened, been 16 years i think for him and for domestic brands as well as sourcing getting manufactured or designing for international brands so he had seen the entire spectrum from making bras for hinterland of india as well for the mainstream or mass commodity product to making high priced super premium lines for hollywood celebrities like sara jessica parker so that so he had seen the entire spectrum sourced from 40 countries so on so forth and he said exactly this is what i had been thinking as a designer i want to do so much but i get limited by my sales and my entire supply chain distribution chain telling me not to experiment too much and when we discussed this in detail and he, then he also agreed that internet would be a great way to pitch our products to customers and see what works what does not and make it a more feedback based iterative kind of a product this fit is very important and how do you test fit by showing it to some actually having girls wear, wear it you can only do as much on your pattern cutting table and on your cat 
So, so he felt that this is perfect that I make a smaller quantities. I test it on some girls and then basis that iterate further and then we go into mass production. So that's the third. That's a big piece that fit in. Okay. So, so th- did you like try to raise funds first or did you just start building product, iterating? Like what next? See, we knew because it's an inventory based product. So a model. So it's not a seed fund wouldn't have been enough to create the range that we wanted. At that time, my internet space had uh, already, it was quite hot. It wasn't that easy to market them. You know, so basically, they were, yeah, so, so there were two big requirements. One was building the tech stack, which we were, we'd already started to do. And there was a decent amount of personal money we had deployed. And then there was the additional bit, which was about around kind of helping set the whole factory bit up, which probably Neha will talk about later. Did you want to set up a factory or work with third parties? No, no. So we worked with third parties, but we worked in a blended model. That's what I'm parking it for now. So, but that also required certain amount of investment. So, so we went into a hybrid where after you kind of deploying some of our capital, then we took a initial seed funding at a very early stage. And thanks to our experiences, we were able to raise it pretty quickly. Like institutional or friends and family? So this was more institutional. Like, you know, people from, there were three different continents. So it kind of helped us. Like based on your networks, you were able to. Exactly. Exactly. So our prior ecosystem only. Effectively. Okay. So, so once the money came in, then what? How did you execute yeah, then the clock started ticking. Then the clock started ticking. <laughs> How much money came in, like in that seed round? As for those times, that was a lot of money. It was almost like uh, approximately a couple of million dollars. So it is a lot of money. Yeah. As per that time, and so but then from that day till today, we've been super judicious. So we probably raised really, really less capital when it comes to building a D2C brand, and we kind of used that money for a very long time. So 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 basically, the way it, it happened for us was there was a three prong requirement. One was a set a tech stack. Other was the product. Maybe now you could talk about about the how we built out the product and third was kind of build, building the whole supply chain around it so so there are two parts of the supply chain one is, one is okay like distribution shipping logistics like right so so the front end and the back end it's literally like fighting a war at two fronts everyone does the same thing I and mean, when it a marketplace or anything so 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 i think forward and backward integration what we did well and we did smartly at the very beginning was that we used technology as the denominator for everything yeah, and that I think that kind of helped us scale much faster, optimize almost everything that we did. So maybe now you could talk about how we went about getting the whole product piece into the place. You know, that time I traveled quite a bit. I went to Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, China, speaking to different factories. But you know, everybody had one demand. Great idea. We are with you, but give us an order of at least 5,000 pieces per whatever you want to make. So I said, oh, same problem. Then I can only make two fits, three, four sizes, etc. So it defeats the purpose. So we kept going in this loop and then someone when he joined and we decided okay let's you know and this was also a good time when we said okay let's make in india let's do this in india and let's not i think we can make quality products in india let's just see what will it take us to do this in india and then someone had this great idea he started to speak to production in charges pattern masters people basically uh, who are in these factories working in these sri lankan chinese or sri lankan or bangladeshi or some of indian factories and who are Uh, who understand product and who are in charge of the quality and efficiency of the floor. And someone said, okay, join us in this madness of entrepreneurship. You set up your factory, we'll we'll help you with buying of the machineries to start with. Small setups, not massive, but small setups. We will book your order book for a year. So you don't have to worry about sales ever, your workforce going idle. We will manage all of that. And that gave them a big boost. They came up 
they brought in labor they brought in their expertise we helped them set up uh, the machinery and from then on the lines had to work as per us so there was a bit of inefficiency i understand but then we could make any design any style we wanted to test we could test with as low as 250 pieces also although the number was a bit high but we could start with making really small numbers it may cost us a bit more to make but initially we picked up on those uh, cost and then slowly then it, this model really took off and then we grew from that uh, very small 250 number to higher 800 1000 2000 number quite fast and then the machinery also got paid back through a year of order it the cost got back to us like you you paid them upfront so that they could buy machinery and that got adjusted when you were buying the product from them at that time okay yeah when we kept buying the product we did some support in the initial raw material buying of fabric laces material etc that that part we put up upfront and, and there was some decent amount of heavy lifting in terms of helping them train how to run it also because a lot of people would know how to manage shop floors but they would not know how to you know recruit the right way how to do their initial oh, paperwork and all manage their own yeah compliances Compliances, everything. So a lot of lot of heavy lifting. So so I had this one good thing happened that we had this ecosystem of people who wanted to build good product were willing to invest time, energy, and money also in making sure that the product comes out super superbly well, and uh, the one that customer likes, whatever it takes. So for a year or uh, in fact actually one and a half year, we just did that, getting a supply chain to work smoothly where we could do a large number of styles and sizes. with the use but optimally on the other side pankaj was building an a system a one full tech stack to run that to run that retail shop online but also a very strong feedback gathering system so a lot of automated triggers that helped us collect the feedback whenever the product would get launched and then the understanding of that feedback by our very limited limited handful of people in design and merchandising and sales that what does this feedback mean whether we need to correct the elastic we need to correct the pad we need to correct the color we need to correct the pricing the visual that thing we worked a lot on how what kind of model we should shoot the product on even that made an impact to the say speed of sales so a lot of work what did you learn about the visuals like what kind of <laughs> like blonde doesn't work warm skin tones work with <laughs> first instinct when we blonde like this is what you see on lingerie let's do <laughs> no but no but most people warmer skin tones fuller body types i'm not saying like average body types like more indian looking basically more indian looking but not so everyday you know you need to as a brand you need to keep that slightly girls like to aspire it's not like oh she looks like me i will buy that that's the natural answer if i was to ask any customer but that's not what how it happens you look at someone you want to be like her even though you know it's a very different body structure but so a little bit of aspiration but keep it as close to indian bodies and indian skin types so that's what we got you were at this stage essentially selling directly on your own website and you were building multiple sku's with small lots and yeah not just on our own website but also on other at that time we, were, we had started listing on marketplaces we had gotten into so that was the sales part that i was doing i yeah. getting into arrangements with mintra like fashion and you and yeah different people uh, how, how did the feedback mechanism work like was it like a review rate and review and give a five star rating or whatever like that or was it yeah ratings a lot of uh, triggers so, see today what comes naturally like you're saying ratings and reviews was not so natural at that time 
so even to customers so we one we we started to track the speed of the product movement from the time it went on went live and also in conjunction with whatever other variables were so basically changing. there are three four things that that mm-hmm. kind of drive it so uh, the moment the product is shipped from the warehouse right that's where the clock starts ticking the moment it's delivered to your house so what we'll do is Seven days after delivery, we'll ask you how did how was your feedback with the product. We'll ask you after thirty days. We'll ask you after ninety days, because there is a longevity also which is involved, right? And for Indians, it's very important how resilient is your product, right? So, so, so all those are captured back. And if you were to give feedback, then we'll give you let's say five, ten percent, fifteen percent coupon for your next purchase. So you're incentivized to do that. So that gives you a feedback score on the product. and then it also gives you a lot of deeper insights because that 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 form will ask you like some detailed questions for briefs it has different padded bras it has different questions and all this is one factor and then the other factor is we try and capture seasonality we try and capture geography you no know, different geography how they respond to certain products then there is speed of sale of individual products speed of sale is also has its own complexities so you can't do speed of sale for posterity it will be something called speed of sale optimal So, so all the statistics probably that we learned back in college, and both of us have very, very a lot of math in our in our uh, 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 you know in our bachelor's. Finally, somebody <laughs> finally, 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 will change because certain prints probably will be more relatable to younger kids younger kids will have more petite bodies so they will end up kind of buying products so probably the smaller sizes will sell more certain padded sizes will sell more so so we we said that you have to decouple this from excel we said anything where excel planning is required is something that we need to automate and that became our thumb rule and we built something which is called the monk and that's the sensei with the sixth sense to predict the future and so the so monk is basically now the back end of our entire planning system In fact, when the brand crossed two hundred crores, is when we hired our first planner. That's one pride we take a lot for a business which is which has always been run by planning teams and stuff at back end. It was just a technology which was doing it for the longest time. So two fifty five hundred products. Let the engine tell you whether you should make five thousand or you should just tank this product. So the risk that you were taking at any point of time was not more than five hundred pieces. And I think that's the power of what you do, and let the customer decide. So there was a week when we actually pushed a hundred styles, and of course now we do two fifty in a month. And we just said that, and the risk was what five hundred into into hundred. That was our risk. All put together, fifty thousand pieces. And out of that, we knew we saw oh, out of these hundred, there are like twenty winners. There are five was stellar winners, boss. This is something we'll bet our thing on. And uh, the other learning that we took, which which Suman worked uh, very hard on, was that if you have found a winner, then how do you scale it from five hundred to twenty, twenty five, thirty thousand pieces in a span of a month? Because then you would need to involve multiple vendors. Else, it will be an opportunity loss, and we went through a lot of opportunity losses also before we were able to crack that. So it was a journey. So that was another journey. How did you do customer acquisition? Like. how did you start so you built the ability to produce tell me about how you built the ability to sell i think first first is everyone's i think is facebook we did a lot of digital marketing we tried a lot of uh, different things in fact at that time a lot of publishers did not allow our advertising to happen they would take down our ads so it was difficult to actually display brands and briefs so a lot of like well known publishers we couldn't run display ads easily but with facebook there are certain guidelines we could follow it and they were a bit more it was easier to run ads there so they were our first supply of customers and then whoever we were acquiring we were engaging with them very well so we built our ability to engage with customers in the beginning in what way 
like how are you so in regular communication in keeping our communications personalized in bucket creating customer buckets and addressing them according to their whatever so a lot of customer data we were gathering we had something called fit test where for the first time i think an indian girl would have seen that okay there are so many different kind of bust shapes we all thought what we see on the screen is what everyone is and i am the odd one out and but we showed why your bust settled how are they shaped there are a lot of there are differences not all girls are like and so they could pictorially go and visually see the kind of shape they are and the kind of problems they're facing with their current bra or bra size and then we will make the recommendation size and fit recommendation so that fit test and now the data that we gathered from their age and their life stage etc so we started to make communications which are which are as per their particular need and life stage so that was our first set of acquisition and also retention so we created we called hunting and harvesting so we made sure that you know it's not just hunting and losing customers so we kept winning so today also our repeat purchase is really very good about 55% even in the times that we are acquiring new customers aggressively comes from repeat customers within a month we see 15% of our customers coming back in the same month and then by the time the quarter uh, closes 30% have shopped again from us So, so that's I, I think one interesting thing that uh, your team ended up doing very well was the whole marketing the way it was done so so the entire entire thesis of brand was built around joy i, I think when we were starting the conversation we, we were telling what is confidence and things like those that you were discussing about so we said can clove be that that one thing that prepares you for whatever's coming next through the day and can it deliver joy in that little moment of dressing up in the morning own those 10 15 20 seconds that are just yours and kind of prepare you for whatever is coming next you what uh, she you had asked me what does how does it make a difference to your confidence brand so exactly this is how we thought of a brand that a girl should think of clovia for exactly 10 or 15 seconds in the morning when she dresses up and after that she should forget about us till the next morning or till the night when she's taking it off so first to put on and last to come off that's those are the only 20 second windows we have with her and apart from that we don't want her to think of us at all and during that time she should just enjoy her life so we decided to not talk about comfort hygiene cotton keep it around that even though there are the top if you ask reason to purchase reason to select a product functional attributes this is what a girl would say the fit should be best the but we said this is too much this is too basic and this is what everybody is doing let's just do something beyond it somebody needs to make underwear cool in india somebody needs to say it's okay to speak of underwear okay to enjoy wearing good underwear and okay to enjoy the confidence that you get from it so we we built a lot of quirky witty intelligent content around our category we started to speak to girls now and you know eventually i learned not from working in advertising but from by launching and owning a brand or running a brand was that a brand is often a, an extension of our collective personalities people who are running it so it really helped that at that time we had a set of young girls in that late 20s age and we were speaking to the same set of customers so our brand became our extension and we had always even the name clovia we had thought i, I this was particularly i wanted a short girls name an international sounding 
but a girl's name so that we could eventually render her a personality slowly slowly it develops into a personality you can when you think of clovia you can see a girl having a voice opinion doing fun things somebody you would like to gossip with <laughs> on our social so to speak enjoy with and uh, so that's how we built brand and i think we were very we did that well and our we built a very nice intimate trustful relationship with our users and also very enjoying like a fun friendship kind of a relationship so that really helped i think so word of mouth is also huge for us so if i when we do research on our customers 84% of our customers have either been recommended clovia or have recommended clovia that's a very high score okay how did you figure out a scaling up production like if a 500 like an sqo which did 500 sales and now you want to produce 30000 of it so one it obviously it didn't happen overnight 500 to 30000 doesn't happen open overnight or even if the data was predicting we didn't we did not take that step i think that's the nature of our of people running the show but we took structured steps so 500 we went to 2000 to 10000 to 30000 the product because there's a little bit of seasonality and there is also often the there could be a fad around that trend or some Thing. so you need to factor all of that and be careful before you scale to that level and secondly in india manufacturing is also quite was like very unstructured like you could uh, the commitments were not kept uh, right from fabric sourcing of raw material to final output so we we created a whole uh, so pankaj actually want to speak about product planner and so the, the way app. we yeah so the way we kind of did it was there are uh, we kind of broke down our product production ecosystem into like a it was literally a three cross three matrix right where we said that one is the category of products right one axis other axis of the complexity of product and third was the scale of the product and everybody was kind of blocked at certain places and scale of product is where we started to identify and this is literally like a vc right where you say that there are you have 20 companies with which one are have entrepreneurs who can scale and so we identified that there are four people who can really scale and we said boss now we want to double down on you and by that time they didn't even need our money to scale we said that now we are ready to give you the scale and we'll put in the capital investment required for let's say the fabric and all and then now can we kind of take this to the next level so 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 we kind of started building out that infrastructure for scaled uh, ecosystems and that kind of started to help us so then the problem was just about once you have identified a product you have already tagged it in your planning engine as replenishable and non replenishable if it is replenishable then it's just a function of your merchandising team triggering to buy the fabric because you have the guys who can take the scale to the next level and all this is happening via technology there's no manual intervention i think that's the beauty of it all right if you have tagged the product and the vendor right at the first time then the technology to match them is like child's play it's not complex at all of course it is still moving target now the same problem to solve for 100000 is different so but uh, i must say that eventually we did figure out the top so it's like handling so many of sqs would always deter your supply chain so you need to find a middle path and today at our scale also 80% plus of our business comes from only 15% of our fits and we may do many colors of them but we those fits now are so strong they have such high success rate that even when a girl is shopping online not seeing the product not trying the product only 11% of them feel the need to change the product and only 4% of them ask for their money back the remaining can just figure out by changing one size some whatever they uh, uh, change they may take but only 4% people eventually decide not to buy from us which is i think the highest that any retail store would also with their trial room adjustment etc can achieve how did you figure out shipping like at that time there was probably not uh, like plug and play na? like today's plug and play 
not no there is no plug and there was no plug and play we had to go individually have arrangements with all the service providers at that time but it helped us because like courier companies for different courier companies but i had already i had been doing this for 6 years plus so this all of this so i knew at end today i had done that whole scaling of business from not just from sales perspective also sourcing and merchandise as well as how to set up operations or at least keep scaling on the operations there were different set of people who were running it but all of that i had understanding of but probably the return logistics would have been a new angle here right like in india today there was probably no returns yeah initially we had to rely on a customer to send us and it was a big dead end then reverse pickup service had been launched by blue dart at that time it was expensive when we took that service and then eventually other partners also joined it but what was different in our case was that if you make a return the the person accepting the return the person who comes to pick it up would checks what are you returning so that was a big letter and the girl didn't want to show a bra or an underwear to a courier person who was walked to her door so we gave instructions that there will be no checking you give a closed box and there's no check we placed our trust in our customers saying that you will not send us wrong products you will send us the right product there will be no check on tags use use products etc just send us whatever you want to send so yeah little bit of fraud happened we there is <laughs> every now and then we get like really strange objects <laughs> coming back to us from used socks to cutlery <laughs> but that's like a fraction of of what but it really helped our customers then they could shop unhindered with no doubt in their mind that their money is safe of course on certain like briefs we don't allow returns for hygiene perspective but even so it's like customer comes first for us so if there's a problem we do whatever it needs to keep her happy uh, how do you bring down returns like how do you ensure that the customer is able to place the order for the right size fit etc so we have a fit test which allows her to take the right fit there's a size calculator in fact we had earlier mapped our sizes to other brands being sold in india in fact a lot of them actually sold one they had their own manufacturing or they were working with different contract manufacturer so they did not have size parity is what we realized so so, uh, so we fixed and we had that size parity because we went, went from a different process they went from a different process so that eventually we dropped mapping to other brands but we so uh, but there's a lot of hand holding that we ended up doing so so one was of course the uh, glovia fit test right so it's a proprietary tool the trademark tool uh, glovia curve so so they pictorially were able to help you understand your body and then we'll recommend you products We'll say this is your size. These are the four mistakes you are making, and this is what will solve those problems for you. It's as simple as that. So, it's, so, so how can you take away human intervention and still try and build something which is really helpful? So, so that is one. The other option that we tried to do was we said what more is happening for a for a in the customer's mind. How we can ensure that we could support the customer there. So, we started doing things like graph your dress. If there's a specific dress that you are wearing. Then can there be a specific bra that kind of goes with it? Things like those. Like uh, like they could upload a picture and then there would be some. Like, no, it was all it was all bizarre. They would say that, hey, are you wearing a backless dress? Is it a western dress? Is it a short dress? Right now, let us suggest you. Or this could be the level of problems that you could end up facing in a dress. You like know, ever this. since I got into this line of business, ever since we launched Clovia. every party every social interaction had a girl taking me to a corner and asking this is my problem what should i wear with this you know this is not fitting me can you help me so that uh, led me to thinking ki uh, you know let's just create it into a wizard so 
So the top things that girls ask me, we put put that there and help them reach to the right part. Cool. So okay, like we've spoken about how you built up all of these capabilities. Now, like, tell me how the business grew. And so, what thirteen is when you started selling? Like, which year did you start selling? Two thousand fifteen is when we launched the brand. Prior to that, we were yeah. Prior to that, basically, we were just doing. So we were trying to figure out ways to make money, right? Because the supply chain had to kick in, and for the supply chain to kick in, we started doing a lot of private labeling. We would do television shopping. So whatever we could find bulk business, we would do that, which would help us build the supply chain. And by that, by the time the supply chain was all set. building it for other brands basically like no so it was less on other brands more on can we do a direct sell through a certain channel where where we are still owning the process but 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 we're not but we hadn't launched clovia yet so we would do it under some pseudo names where we would try to kind of sell bulk so that we had enough volumes to kind of build that ecosystem it you know a lot of serendipity also happened we got lucky with certain channels which worked well for us but that helped us set the ecosystem and once we were ready in place then of course then the entire d2c kicked in and we for 2015 for before that time we took to build our tech and uh, supply chain but also we had tested a lot of fits during that time making smaller quantities slowly slowly we enough to stock to launch clovia with with a set of good products tested products we had done that so but those brand names were but they were not really brands we were just Sending the product out, Ninja. Anyway, brands put together at that time owned only one percent market share. So women in India were used to buying unbranded local kind of a product. So essentially, you were just supplying to retailers to get it out there and get feedback. Even on internet, so we knew what is working, what is not working. When we launched Chloe, we had some sense. The first set of products were not untested. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, fifteen when you launched, that what kind of sales did you do? Fifteen and how did it grow year on year? Like, tell me about that journey. Once all these pieces got built up, then the journey after that. So, from a growth perspective, I think first year was fairly small. I think seven or eight crores we've done. Seven eight crores. Right. Crows. But post that, I think uh, on a on a CAGR basis, I think the company's grown around sixty sixty. Two thousand foot financially, fourteen was seven six yeah, crores. Fifteen, yeah, yeah. we were all all already. Oh, 15 ha, ha, 15 ha, 16 crores the annual uh, revenues uh, from a mix clovia wasn't that big so the brand but the brand contribution yes was, was like 50 a month so so yeah, now the same number is that we are shipping a piece every 2 seconds now so that is from a volume perspective which is fairly sizable like, like pre covid what kind of top line did you have like that financial year 19 20 so uh, numbers we are of course there are it's in public domain so i think uh, the published number would have been around 70 or crores prior to covid and of course now the same number is it's multifold let's just <laughs> let's just <do> that. <laughs> so it's a, it's a sizable multiple of that like what are you estimating to end this year at like like this financial year 21 22 as you were like doubling every year like yeah yeah doubling every year yeah what were the uh, challenges in doubling every year if you're doubling that's like a fantastic pace of growth and as the scale grows that doubling becomes even tougher so how did you manage to keep it up being able to double every year i think i think the challenge uh, predominantly and i think it's not just for us for a startup which is which is capital efficient i think that's the biggest thing is how do you manage your sales versus your operations right because if you overdo on the ops and the sales catches up basically what you ended up doing is you've overspent your money 
and kind of not been able to give the right thrust because the same money could have been put in marketing. If you overdo on your sales, then you end up putting in a very bad customer experience and under delivering on your promise. So I think that the biggest challenge is, and it is nothing to do with just us alone. I think it's always to do with how do you maize on these two together? And I think that's what we also ended up learning a lot on. There was a time when we just went bonkers selling more and then we realized, oops, I mean, our backend is not ready for it. We There was almost a three-month time when we got super flack from customers because our shipping time had kind of reached to almost like eight days and people were like, this is not acceptable. And all the big marketplaces had already started putting the game to a 24-hour, 36-hour delivery time frames. So, so, so those are the kind of challenges we definitely faced. Our other thesis was where we went wrong was where we felt that launcher is not something somebody would want the next day because it is something which it's not like I need it now. It's not sanitary parts, right? So it's not impulse purchase here. Yeah. It's not. It's an impulse purchase, but you would not want immediate gratification of having it in your hands. But that was our that was our thesis, which was absolutely wrong because we realized that the customer is restless for everything. It is agnostic to category. It is agnostic to anything, right? So be it breed like a hard boiled candy to a to a, to a lingerie. If she's paid for it and if she's set her eyes on it, you better deliver it to her as soon as possible. What does the planning function deliver to you? What are the outcomes of that planning function? Like what do they tell you produce this quantity of this SKU or like what is? Oh, it is rockstar, right? So to, to give you an answer here, we are right now every morning, all the team has to do is just to go and check out what product needs to be made in what quantities for what time frames. How many of these purchases are already or productions are already in place and how much are they lagging? Then it will also tell you in what size ratios should be broken. There also it is very specific to an individual product. So because yeah, at, a, at, a, at an individual product level, it will kind of break down and kind of give you a very deep down analysis that this specific product you should make in this specific category. Then offline, we started something very cool recently that you just put in a pin code of a certain location and you say that, hey, I have a six cross six wall here. Then how should I fill this up in this pin code to have the maximum ROI? And it will just fill it up and tell you that, hey, this is the kind of products and this is the sizes that you should take. Because we know that, for example, in Punjab, this location, you would see B and C cups being sold more than probably a D cup. And red is a much more preferred color than probably a pink. And padded is selling more than non-padded. So the whole idea is uh, with so much of data points with you right now, can you optimize on how to maximize on your sales output and at the same time, how to optimize on your production output. So it's, it's working both ways now. So essentially, this system would tell your team what they need to order so that the sales are met, so that the predicted sales are met. Like, like it would predict that, okay, this these SKUs are going to sell in these colors, in these sizes. And but that's the problem there, right? If you were to just think of it like that, then you are killing the main essence of this business, which is gut feel, which is designing, which is the designer's gut, right? The creativity. The creativity. So we are saying the other way around. We are saying you keep drip feeding creativity and we keep telling you which of your creative ones are working better. And once you've identified them, we'll tell you how to optimize their scale. So, so the first stop is not to stop the creativity from being hampered. You do not make it do not make it so much of a science that the art of it goes away. And that's where the that's where the key of the whole play is. The power of the gut is something which drives a, a business like ours because in spite of even the basic products would almost be 60-65% of a business. But it but the brand gets built from the rest 35% fashion, which is in trend. And it comes from many things. Where there was this movie which came with the protagonist was wearing a cage bra, a lot of those crisscross at the back. And we saw that we made it in a week 
and we made a killing out of this we made a category out of it now everybody selling cage bras so so that that cannot go away but will you get excited enough and say boss i'll make 50000 this is going to sell that we don't let happen that technology will tell you so so there's like a separate new product function which is all about creativity and there's like an operations team which is using the insights on which new products are should be doubled down on absolutely and i think there's a single thumb rule of any brand and be it offline d2c or anything is that the hubris cannot kick in at any point of time you cannot feel that i know it all this is how it will happen because the customer just changes overnight she is the one who knows everything you with the brand is brand will always be the dumb crazy dude who doesn't understand what's going on and always discovering that's the power so when did you go offline like and what is the mix between online your own website online marketplace offline like large format offline almost 3 years ago yeah we went seriously into offline almost a year and a half before covid it and then of course there was a patch at its pre covid the number of offline revenue was almost touching 15% and it went from 0 to 15 in almost 12 and a half at uh, last 15 months uh, 13 to 15 months and then of course now it is down to 10% because the other revenue has grown much faster it's not like the offline revenue has gone down from percentage basis yeah that's there and then marketplaces would contribute around 30 odd percent and 60% of our business is still our own store which is clovia.com app and the site and that continues to be our focus because that's what gets us the the feedbacks right and that's what gets us the real data this is offline also 35% of our revenue comes from owned outlets exclusive brand outlets and that we have uh, doubled down so we are opening two to three outlets every month since since september october this year and the next year the target is anywhere between 70 to 90 stores we have to open so the entire team is being ramped up for that and what made you want to go offline like your original thesis was internet is the best way to do this so what made you want to so so internet is the best way to reach out to the end consumer in terms of understanding their key requirements right i think a brand should be agnostic and this is something every time i go on a forum i keep saying that and i keep telling other d2c founders also don't call yourself an online brand online is a channel and brand is a brand right so it's literally oxymoronish to call yourself an online brand if you're just online you're not a brand and then you're just a channel heavy seller so the thesis of a brand should be fairly simple that how do you reach out to the maximum number of customers that that is your core agenda right so so either you go to the end customers or the end customers come to you right in the online space there is a there is a huge opportunity for the customers to come to you because by the power of ai the facebooks and google of the world will show to relevant guys and performance marketing will bring you the best guys in in the offline world you have to be present at a certain place where maximum eyeballs are and so so we said that let's do both as long as our customer experience is not going down our gross margins are maintained the moat of the business which is the management of tight management of inventory continues and we are able to deliver something which is somewhat of an aha to the end customer so these are the four fundamentals that we went with and uh, that was the reason why we opened our in fact it's a very interesting anecdote of how we went offline the there was a conversation that was going on within the organization that how do we reach out to more customers and we were saying that let's do college events let's do stalls at various places let's do pop up stores let's do mall pop ups and whatever could could help people just touch and feel the product and then the only question that i had at that point of time was that if you will do it as marketing it will be finite if you do it as sales it will be infinite and then we brainstormed and all of us together came up with this idea that let's start going out to typical mom and pop stores and say that give us a 6 feet wall and we'll do a shop in shop for you but what we'll do is we'll deploy some sizable capital to make that wall so beautiful that your shop kind of uplifts completely and uh, and we said let's put that capital expense and we think let's think of that capital expense as marketing okay and these would be like mom and pop garment stores 
garment stores anything which is score lingerie minimum 350 to 400 square feet store that was the that was that and we said that and our Clovia assistant will stand there and she will sell because we don't want to take that experience away. So we're ready to take that cost also. So we set it up in one of the stores in Delhi and within the first month, we were the top seller there. So we were the number one seller ahead of all the big brands that existed. And the same guy used to run three stores in the same market and he said that you cannot do the next store also. So we said, okay. And then, then one of his friends reached out to us. This is a very tight-knit community. So, so they said, can you give us one? And we said, boss, this is a model. And then, of course, so then Neha kind of scaled it very quickly. And then we said, okay, now we got more aggressive. Okay, now can we do our, can we afford our own stores and see if that will be operationally profitable? And then we set up our first uh, exclusive outlet. And they're also, again, it's even grounded. We would want to go into a tier two, tier three market. So even if it is Delhi, then we'll go to a patch, which is, which, which will value the value product. And we'll not do more than four, four, 400, 450 square feet store. Anywhere between 350, 450 square feet is what we do as a store. And we'll turn profitable by month two and by month. Yeah. So I think that model has worked very well for us so far. And so wherever customer is happy and the four levers are working, you said, let's scale. So, so right now we are present in, in multiple large format stores as well as part of that. How do you ensure the tight operational control with offline? Like, do you do like just-in-time inventory delivery and stuff like that? Like, like tell me about some of those. Twice a week we are doing. How, how many times a week are we doing? Yeah, twice a week. And how does that compare to traditional brands? So again, it, it, it's a little different play. A traditional brand would be run by the distribution ecosystem. Okay, okay, okay. So that retailer would... So while they can do a daily replenishment... But the distributor is holding 90 days worth of stock. So you don't know whether it's 90 day replenishment or a day replenishment. And the other is that the product basket that we would give would be a lot more complex than a regular product basket. But there also there is a planning engine which comes back with an Excel download saying that this these 20 stores require these 80 products. And, and so it's literally an Excel, which is validated and then kind of put into the supply chain for shipments. Got it. So how traditional retail works is the retailer is placing orders that yeah, SKUs mujhe, and he gets that from the distributor. But what you're doing now is you are feeding SKUs to the retailer that let's display these because we know these will sell, which is based on... So traditional retail is a lot more interesting, right? Traditional retail, if you were to check out what most of the way the feedback is obtained by most of the brands is that one person will call distributors or will call retailers once a week and try and get some insights about the product. So nobody's talking to the customer at all. Everybody's getting... So the agenda that is being met is the agenda of the retailer. So so traditional, not I would not say brand, the traditional distribution model works for the retailer. It doesn't work for the customer because they're the customer is not the queen or the king as we keep saying. There, the retailer is the king or the queen, and that's how retailer behaves. My dad was a retailer. I know how the retailers behave. And so, so at Diwali time, we would have this like biggest collection of gold and silver coins because they would be like, if you tell, sell two boxes of this specific underwear, then you will get this like, silver coin, and ten boxes you'll get a gold coin. So, so the entire incentivization was not for the customer. The incentivization was always for the retailer. So we are saying that can the customer have a voice and that voice can translate into action. Is uh, that, So the entire thesis, be it supply chain, be it product, be it communication, everything is revolving around the customer, at least in our, in, in our ecosystem now. And I think that's the fundamental difference from any traditional ecosystem that you would talk about. And this is like an asset light model, right? Because you don't actually own the EBO 
like, like the exclusive brand outlet, you would like work with an entrepreneur to help them set it up. There is a lot of thought process went, but right now we are owning the exclusive outlets ourselves. So, so today we are running it as Coco, company-owned, company-operated. A sizable majority of them, a small percentage of them are still being done by the franchises. But the idea was that the first 50 stores should be run by you so that you have absolute control on the operating levers around it. Once you have understood those operating levers and we know how to run them and you have a template around it, that's when the franchisee model kicks in. So we have franchises, but those are very close partners where we also do a lot of heavy lifting. But what is the roadmap for that, for the EBO source? So if we were to left to me personally, I would say that I would always want to own the operations because that's the crux of the entire game. If there is a way to templatize it. That's how you can ensure quality of the experience. Quality of the experience, quality of the feedback collection, quality of the entire lever system. right? But I think over a period of time, we have started to see templates forming, right? And then now we are testing those templates out with our existing franchisee partners. The moment we realize that the templates are so tight that it doesn't require manual intervention of nudging them every day, boss, this is going wrong. The AC was turned off at six, even though it was still humid and hot. So as long as we're able to address, that is when we'll go high on the franchisee model. What are these templates you're developing? This sounds interesting. So these are operating levers, right? So for example, one in terms of the overall customer experience. So customer experience is broken down into the showroom experience. Showroom experiences, there was incense there, was there no smell, there was no food smell, AC, lights were not broken, the whole, the, the billboards were, the lights were turned on at the right time. So all those operating levers and that can, very uncomplicated, I mean, the world has done it to death. So it's not something that you really need to complicate it on. And then those are the customer data feedback points. For example, we have this very strong thesis of trial sales ratio, where we're saying that every time a woman is trying a product, we want to scan and save that data. And every time she's buying a product, we want to scan and save that data. Because if she's taking off multiple layers of clothing and trying a product and still not buying it, then it speaks a lot about that product. And if 20 people have tried that product and just two have bought, then it doesn't speak about that individual's discomfort. It speaks about the product itself. So, so I'm saying that's your first feedback right there, which is absolutely sitting right there and, and, you're, and you're unable to execute on that. But, but how, how do you get that data? Like which product was tried? How do you get that data like this product was tried these many times by these customers? Because that data is where the value lies, like getting that data. How do you get that? Yeah, so we have an app that we uh, that we built for our sales assistants. And so while they cannot scan what came out of the trial room in real time, what they do is they keep, they log in sales at the end of the day that these are the products that I sold. They do a regular audit of the inventory. So we know what was there. And then at the end of the day or a couple of times in the, through the day, whatever does not uh, succeed in trial room and it gets dumped on the side of the trial room goes back on the shelf. So just before taking on the shelf, they, they scan it and they tell us, so uh, the scan so we know what failed so once we know what failed then we can just basically from percentage basis figure out that what has higher success rate and what does not have higher success rate now this model is not like a hundred percent something that you can implement across sales counters because it is dependent on whether the girl can carry a phone onto the floor etc you can have your staff do things you can drive that for the staff but but a lot of time because in multi-brand outlets where the retailer is uh, may not allow the phone etc on the floor there it's a problem but we still even if we get five percent sample which is enough to then extrapolate and then figure out the overall trend and on our own brand outlets then they help us in building that initial not just conversation with customer but also this uh, feedback 
through our own outlets is priceless. Okay. So like, like the plan to open, I think 70 or 90, you said EBOs next year. These will be company owned or like these will be with entrepreneurs? No. Uh, so it's a mixed model. The operations we will continue to run for next 100 stores at least. Our operating partner will be us. However, the investment in the store will keep a mix. Some will be company owned, company operated. Some would be franchisee owned, but company. So offline, I imagine, would need more funds, right? Because you need to do that upfront investment in physical infra, be it that wall in a mom and pop store or these EBOs. So like, tell me about the funding beyond that first seed round you did, a couple of million dollars. Yeah, so working capital needs to be managed because because unlike our other model of internet selling, there is the, here you are investing in capex. So therefore, here also we we take our math very seriously. And so, for example, post COVID, we iterated our model to assume that for seventy only you will get your store operational for seventy percent of the year. Thirty percent of the year will not work out because either customer sentiment or lockdown or some other reason. So then you select the locations as understanding whether that rent and uh, capex math investment is working out and uh, having a very tight discipline on ensuring that your capex is getting returned to you in about 18 months and then you know thereafter and uh, it also helps our store level recommendation engine that really helps because otherwise what happens is really the turnarounds in the store or inventory turnarounds in the store should not short of six months at all so should be higher even ideally for us but you should store what does this mean inventory turnaround what i mean is that your store should not be left with unsold stock okay beyond six months Anything going to the store should get sold in the next six months. No, not just that. So, so you should at any point of time hold only. Your store should sell enough that if the store capacity is, let's say, 5,000 units, then you are moving at least 2,500 units every month. So two two times inventory only is what you're holding. It shouldn't be that you are selling only about three 400 units, but you are stocking about 3,000 units. So then the store size, everything, footfall, etc. has to come right. How do you figure out that this is where the footfall is and stuff like that? Those are the basics of, I think, retail scouting. We scout the market. We spend some time in it. We speak to a lot of brands. We try and position ourselves next to women's wear brand where there is already traffic of people coming, women walking in to buy their outerwear. So we position that. So it's not like we won't put ourselves next to food court. You're like, say, GKN block market that that would be like a yeah those gkm block and block good places but then the we are not yet there we are in different other addresses of delhi but so you have to for us uh, that way is clovia we have a very uh, we always have an eye on our bottom line so we never treat a store as a marketing tool we'll never put a store where there's no revenue but oh yeah uh, we have a store in gkm block so that kind of we don't use it for marketing but for that different marketing tools are available the store has to be profitable and our stores give excellent returns what is the price point compared to competition like is it premium pricing is it mass market pricing what is so we provide premium product at affordable pricing so the pricing is at a slight premium to your local or uh, regional brand that you would buy in local market there's a small premium to it but but it's cheaper by about 20 25 percent from any mall brand okay like a jockey and all it will be or jockey is more like mass market yeah, similar priced, similar price, but Jockey does more sporty, functional products. We do a lot of different kind of ranges. So like to like a comparison, 
uh, it's not possible but yes in the categories that overlap lap we are similarly priced but our product is far more fit based and the kind of range sizes options that we provide a large uh, larger so somebody who is like a like the right kind of like let's say uh, an equivalent of size medium may have many options but equivalent of small large xl for a lot of them our range is much more suited and from a very cheap locally sold kind of a product there's a small premium but the there's a multifold difference in quality and fitting they get and also the brand experience how do you train your sales assistant like is there a playbook for that in place so that they are able to help with fitting like you have online you have wizards how do you replicate that wizard experience yeah so we have we created a, a detailed playbook one store operating process we wrote down on when a girl walks into the store the first thing she has to offer is the fit advice is the to say that i let me fit you first and then from there how to fit we created we've given them printed charts on how each how many inches etc will lead to what sizes and then slowly slowly they also develop expertise so so a lot of actually a lot of time is spent on training they go through a detailed training program before they they put on the floor so what is the roadmap for clovia going forward so there are uh, three ways that we're thinking about and we are aggressively working on so first is we added new categories which had the natural extension from the brand attributes we had one was the whole joyful and joy enjoyable youthful experience that our brand gave and second was the intimate trustful relationship that we built so basis that we got into more performance oriented categories like activewear we also did sleepwear big time which grew very well during lockdowns but which came naturally from lingerie but activewear again performance oriented lot of aspiration build but again uh, limited availability at affordable price points so that category is growing very well with us then we got into personal care because again a lot of these problems get shared by our customers to us a lot of people writing to us about different problems so we just searched and we got into offering solutions around that and leveraging the same expertise that we've uh, we've built so far in understanding from the customer directly and then iterating on the product so we are building on our categories and uh, that has propelled our growth second is we are building on geographies so we right now while we're growing fast in india we've also launched in mena region mid east and we are looking at 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 other geographies also and one after another we'll start growing online or offline like we started with online so we'll follow the same model we'll start with online we are also present in offline shop and shop kind of model because post covid one good thing that happened was that as a brand we had this unique ability which we didn't realize was to be able to service a customer in her home and that it's not just about delivering the product but having that range that experience to be able to serve that first pre purchase experience and then post purchase so we had that expertise and once we had been working on our international expansion just then and then lockdown just helped us push that agenda forward faster so we started with online but we are very well we started we have some presence in offline also but online we have good presence so how do you service like internationally do you manufacture in india and then ship in bulk over there yeah we we manufacture in india in some cases we ship directly from india but we also stock in those locations in those geographies so we'll add more geographies there and third is i think also in and clovia we've built with very limited uh, investment so far as compared to our peers or e-commerce space so now i will push the pedal on building customer awareness in 
telling more and more girls in India and uh, abroad about Slovia. I think we're ready for that. Yeah, are you planning to use Bollywood brand ambassadors like celebrity endorsement? Yes, you should see. Uh, you will see a lot, lot of action at Slovia marketing. Yes. So far, we had been guerrilla marketing. We had been doing so. You see, already a lot of Bollywood faces have spotted Clovia and and are still spotting Clovia. Every month, we see spot Clovia on TV. Yeah, now it's very much part of Bollywood and TV styling. It's like a staple there. But but you will see endorsements. You will see a lot of interesting action. Clovia being present in a much larger, wider manner. <laughs> how essentially your target customer is a woman so so how do you how, how are you building an organization that is empathetic to your target customer of a woman oh yeah that i think we've done very well so we today at clovia it's 70% and in, in almost all departments and on leadership also in our top leadership we have 40% women in our second rank of leadership we are about 55 odd percent women so we So there is no actually honestly there's no gender it's not like we invite diversity and so there is any role one thing we did was that every time head of department or hr said that i don't want to hire women for this role because this role requires traveling long working hours etc etc we said don't hire a candidate who refuses to do this you lay down all these challenges that this job may face let the candidate decide whether she wants to she or he wants to pick it up or not but don't just don't drop resumes because of gender and don't assume on the behalf of that girl and so it happened automatically it wasn't where we were promoting women over men so we don't actually one thing we are very particular so women don't want extra rights we don't want menstrual leaves we don't want anything additional we just want equal opportunity and that's the that's this something we adopted it covi and just by making it completely equal taking out all those deep rooted biases this is where we arrived 